starting recording now. Okay. All right, guys, I'm here with none other than the man himself, the master of mayhem, the uh, king of barbecue. I don't know. Are you? I don't know. Well, I guess that's what we're going to find out. Uh, I'm excited today. I've got none other than Adam Roberts. Uh, and we're going to get into why he's a significant person in the barbecue landscape. This is Project Barbecue, and I am your host, Jared McDonald. We're going to have some advertisements come across here right now. No, not actually. But uh, look, I've hung up my speak heat beads banner in the background. Don't ever risk it by using any other fuel than heat beads. But here we go. I'm sure we'll get into fuel today, Adam. We now, well, tell me something. When did we first get introduced to each other? Do you, do you recall? It's like a first date, isn't it? Um, I would I would say it would have been a meat stock, uh, maybe even the first meat stock in Auckland. Uh, now, I just remember two J's of that. I don't actually remember an Adam. See, I've always been the guy in the background. Um, I wouldn't say pulling the strings, but just making sure everything runs smoothly. So I hadn't really, over the years, been out in front too much. I'd prefer just to make sure the engine room was just ticking along nicely. So... I flew under the radar radar quite a bit on quite a few of the early events in the, in Australia and New Zealand. Look, all I remember is coming to Meatstock, and I had spoken to Jay a couple of times over the phone, and he had rung us that day. I had no idea what he looked like, but when I got there, I'm like, "Where's Jay?" And he's like, "Oh, he's a uh, like look for a average, you know, average height fat Australian dude." Which you know, obviously, you were. Uh, the profile uh, at the time, at the time, yeah, a dime a dozen, yeah. And uh, so I'm sure all weekend everyone was calling you uh, Jay and him Adam, or, or maybe just everybody Jay. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think I mean even even today in Port Macquarie, I mean Jay and I live in Port Mac, and I go down the street all the time, and it happens to him as well. People call him Adam, call me Jay. It's just one of those things. But funny story. Uh, couple of years ago, um, Jay's wifey was just looking up family tree online, you know, the ancestry.com. And um, she told us a story about how Jay was related to bush rangers from Australia, you know, back in the 1800s or whatever. And I just said, oh, well, you know, that's, that's, you know, there's, there's quite a few bush rangers around Australia in that period, but I was related to some as well. And, you know, I said, I, I told her the name of, of the bush rangers I was related to. And she's like, hang on a sec. They're the ones Jay's related to. And so we traced it back over 24 hours and, and it works out we're fourth cousins. We, and we never knew of it knew of it for about 15 years we've been mates. And that, that was the first time we were actually blood relatives, which is really, really quite, uh, quite weird, cool at the same time. So the big question really is, do you refer to each other as this is my cousin Adam or this is my cousin Jay or do you just go like this is my mate Jay? Uh, look, over the years we've, we've played it up a little bit. You know, we've we've deliberately called each other Jay or Adam if we want to get out of something, you know, or, or, or not have to own up to something. So we, we've played around with it. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's been quite a few stories. But, you know, Cuz uh, gets thrown about a little bit here and there, uh, which sure. is absolutely correct. But fourth cousins, it's quite removed, but it's a pretty cool story either way. Look, I mean, you're far enough together that, you know, inbreeding is not really an issue, isn't it? So that, that's always the big question. We're not from Tasmania. Yeah. All right. Well, I know a guy from Tasmania who's close to my heart, a certain graffiti artist, and I think we'd both be offended. Who now lives in Macquarie, mind you. <laughs> well, he does, but that doesn't mean he isn't from Tasmania. But anyway, let's move on from that. So we got to know each other. I guess we got introduced to each other at the first meat stock, which would have been meat stock 
was that 2017 or 18? Uh, Must be 2017. 17, yeah. It was the first Auckland meat stock. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to Brendan on uh, the previous interview just about how, how, you know, my impression of going to that was I didn't realise there were so many barbecues in New Zealand practising the art of low and slow. So they're like, I mean, you guys can really be credited with bringing them all out of the woodwork and uh, into a single place. Well, you know, I could take my hat off to Jay because um, he obviously saw there was a potential opening to do something big in New Zealand. And I'd never been to New Zealand before that first meat stock myself. Um, I'd always wanted to go, but I had no idea, you know, what it'd be like trying to you know, run a contest in another country. Um, but Jay, you know, hat off to him. He's, he's done the hard work and, and got the first event over the line. And and from there, they, as you say, so many people came out of the woodwork, but really awesome people as well. So I kind of, after that first event, went, man, this is, this is a place that could really, really thrive on the barbecue circuit and contest series and, you know, get a few Aussies over here. We can learn off each other and share the love, that sort of stuff. And so it was that first event that really kicked things off. Um, so credit where it's due. After that, you know, working with, the, you know, the likes of um, Luke Sini from, from JD's, getting that first championship series over the line. Um, that was just a real special period uh, for barbecue, not just uh, in New Zealand, but for Australia as well, you know, branching out. It was such a, such a fun period. For sure. Like, I think we've talked a number of times on the phone over the years just about how uh, lucky we were to have a company like Jack Daniels and a person like Luke, who basically came right at the right time and had the right resources available to just carry the ball where it had been thrown and create this, you know, the first Jack Daniels series uh, and, and get the ball rolling. And it's, you know, I mean, everything, everything that we have in terms of competitive barbecue in New Zealand and to, to some extent, just the scene in general, we can credit with the likes of uh, Jay and co for starting Metstock, but also for someone like Luke Sini for being able to, um, influence people in the right places to get the resources needed to to actually grow the scene, and so I, I think that can't be understated how important it was to have someone like Luke come along right at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we went back and forth with trying to, um, I guess, share ideas on how a contest series could work in New Zealand. And and I remember there was a little bit of argy bargy. There's there's commercial aspects of running contests you've got to be aware of, but there's also a um, a very I guess, black and white process that should be followed. Um, the ABA had done a lot of work over about three or four years before the first New Zealand event. Um, so, you know, building systems, processes, a judging format, training with the right people and that sort of stuff. But, you know, there was such a drive and a passion from both sides to make sure a series could work. And, um, you know, hats off to the, to the JD's boys and Luke in particular for, for seeing a much bigger picture. Um, but also, you know, the, the volunteers in the ABA that had, you know, gone before us that um, really gave us the, the body of really cool people that could help run the systems and processes behind the scene to make it work. Like we'd, we'd, we'd struggled over two or three years in Australia. We'd had more mistakes than, than successes uh, trying to develop something. And I think where we started with New Zealand in particular, with the Champ Series in, in 17, 18 was we'd made all the mistakes prior to that point in Australia. You know, we had this not kicked out of ourselves a few times online and all that sort of stuff, but we'd got our shit together enough where we were then confident, okay, look, here's a very well-oiled machine that we can start to roll out. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, you know, New Zealand started with with a product and a, and a back end system and process that that had, that had gone, you know, nine rounds already, and it was ready to go. It was um, it was something that was that was quite polished. And and to be honest, it's the same system we're using three years later. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a great way of going like little walk down memory lane, but. I think many of our viewers don't actually understand where this all started. And it's funny that you should be smoking a cigar right now because I believe that the whole barbecue uh, scene in terms of the ABA started with a cigar and, a, and maybe a scotch on a balcony. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I'll probably talk about Jay all the time in this interview, but I think, I think it really, you know, when you're looking at the history of something, it's really important to go back to, you know, the key influences in, in setting up something in particular. And Jay come, like, for years, you know, we've been mates for years. Uh, Wednesdays or Thursdays, we caught up for a scotch and a cigar, sitting out on the back deck, you know, just chilling, cooking some barbecue, whatever we're doing, just chewing the fat. And one day he just said, look, I, I just, I want to run this, run a barbecue competition. And I, I said, well, what does that even mean? You know, there's only a few ways you can, you know, uh, cook up a sausage or a rissole, bro. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, the American style, the low and slow. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a food truck and I do the pulled pork at the moment. So I understood the concept of low and slow. But he had the vision and the drive and the passion to, I guess, take something from the US and introduce it here in Australia. But the other really cool thing was we, we discussed about putting a lot about putting an Australian spin on it at the time. So we, we did a bit of research on the, I guess, the competitions in the US. Um, none of them had lamb, but lamb was massive in Australia. It's one of our staples as far as meat yeah. and protein. Plus, we also had places on the on the coast. You know, 90% of Australia's population lives within 30 minutes of the beach. So seafood was another category that we thought, well, let's, let's put our own spin on something. So that first barbecue contest drew, it was 20 teams from all over Australia to our small town of Port Macquarie. And that was the first barbecue contest. And it was born out of just a, a random, you know, scotch and cigar chat on the back deck. But there was a lot of work. There was about six months worth of planning work that went into just getting that first event over the line. About a month before the event, um, Jay's like, well, I don't really like talking in front of crowds. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit over it. I was on council at the time, the deputy mayor. And, you know, I did a lot of public speaking, that sort of stuff. But I also had a food truck. I wanted to participate as more of a, a food vendor rather than someone out the front. So Jay looked around uh, online, found this girl called Jess Priles, who'd done a bit of work with KCBS in the US. Um, she did a judge's course over there. But she also had a fair body of work as a... Um, at the time, they, what do they call it, um, blogger. Um, it, it, back then, there was blogs that were, were pretty popular. And now, approximately did, what year would this have been like back then when this is all conceptual and being put together? This is about seven years ago, 2013, 2014. Um, so the right, first so this is going right back. It's about seven years, yeah. So, you know, long story short on that, Jess ended up being the MC for the event, but she also ran the first judges course and helped run the contest as well from the, from the front end point of view. And, you know, from there, I mean, it just sort of snowballed. Like so many people attended that were just in love with barbecue generally uh, from all over the country. We have people from Perth, from Adelaide, from Melbourne, from Brisbane that, that flew into Port Macquarie just to attend this first ever event of its kind in Australia. But at the time, 20 teams was one of the biggest low and slow contests outside of America at the time. So 
we got a little bit of international attention. Um, a few people mm -hmm. to write blogs for us and, you know, help share the love and barbecue and that sort of stuff. So that first event was critical. We had to show a product really that, you know, it showcased low and slow barbecue. And, and those 20 teams, of those 20, there's still some really, really well-credentialed teams on the contest circuit these days or own uh, food trucks or restaurants, that sort of stuff, and have, and have been in barbecue for, you know, 10 or 12 years themselves. So. so do you remember who actually pulled out the big GC at that first comp? I do, I do. It was a team called the Meat Sweats. Okay. Uh, you know, Mitch and uh, Mitch and Vaughan and the boys, Peter Groom. Um, so there's, and Remy, um, the, the boys were just unstoppable in those first sort of two years. These guys had perfected the art of low and slow barbecue for contests. Uh, a few right. controversial ways of prepping meats, injections and, and, and you know, flavour enhancers and all that sort of stuff. Some really weird stuff that, you know, some people like, oh, that's not real barbecue. But these guys knew how to present and, and, and also get the texture bang on. So these guys were well ahead of the pack. And, and I think they went on to win about six or seven GCs out of about 10 events. So those guys were the first one. And they, they held up over a good couple of years after that as well and, and, and really showed the way to a, to a large degree. Well, it's excellent. And so um, how long after that first Port Mac comp did it sort of, did meat stock um, take to get off the ground? Because well, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks don't understand at home that there's several organisations that interact with each other in terms of barbecue in New Zealand, yep. uh, in terms of competitive barbecue in New Zealand. So we have the Australasian or Australian Barbecue Alliance, yep. which is the sanctioning body, which uh, yourself, Jess and Jay sort of founded and Yep. got got off the ground and then and then out of that jay was able to basically partner with simon and bring us meat stock to first sydney yep. and then the following year to new zealand sydney and melbourne is that is that correct yeah so the aba didn't actually run the first barbecue contest of its type in australia it was it was predominantly jay who owned the festival i did mm. a, a bit of the the background work, the lead-up work, Jess presented that first one um, on on Jay's behalf. So it was there was three of us in the in the mix. Um, Simon was involved as well and looked after the music side of the festival. So mm -hmm. all all the players from that first contest, you know, they they are still around today and have you know obviously gone on to some big things in barbecue. Um, but after that first weekend, we we had such an amount of feedback and we didn't have a website we didn't even know ourselves as the aba it was just a, a couple of people that had done this one thing one time but there was a guy called fletcher patanen he's uh he's the promoter from the bangalore barbecue and bluegrass festival and and he made contact with with, with jay and i after that first event and said man i love what you did there i've got this little festival up near byron bay in in northern new south wales we would love you guys to come up and run a contest for us so, you know, that was about six months down the track. Um, so Jess and I went up there and ran that contest. I took my food truck, sold hot dogs at the event, just supported Jess when she ran the, the 10 team contest. So, you know, we got us, that was actually the first ABA contest because a few weeks before we um, helped Fletcher with his event, we actually set up the ABA as a nonprofit association. So it was really just a body that could really just um, be something that people could attach themselves to in some sort of profile way. You know, the Australasian Barbecue Alliance. We went back and forward with a few name variations over a week or two from, from memory and, and we, we, we got stuck on the ABA. I personally would have preferred it to be a business because it's a lot easier with paperwork. But, you know, 
we weren't looking at the the body itself as being a business that it will generate income. It was just something that could offer the intellectual property that could you know attract volunteers to help out. And you know, obviously, we didn't have any money uh, to pay people to help run contests for us. So we just set up a volunteer association, um, which is still in place today. We're still non-profit, and and we just got this thing started called the ABA, which was pretty cool. Right. And a few months after that, we set up a Facebook group, and it just it just blew away from there. You know. It has been surprising to me, even like recounting the Australian experience, how rapidly barbecue's taken off in our region. You think about seven years ago, a lot of people wouldn't have even had a clue what uh, low and slow barbecue was. And even myself, I've probably been only barbecuing for about a year. And then here we are today with, I think we just clocked over 35,000 members on our Facebook group in New Zealand. And you guys are way up there in terms of, uh, your group in Australia. Yeah, well, it grew it grew pretty slowly at the start because that first year there was technically two events. One was the ABA and, the, and then the initial one, obviously, before that. The next year, just the momentum ticked over that we were able to help eight promoters, including Jay. So eight events went ahead in... in now, was Meatstock Sydney that following year? Yeah, it was. Okay. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was Port Macquarie. It was the third year that Meatstock... Blues and Barbecue and yeah. Yeah. Was so it, it doubled in size. We went from 20 teams to 44 teams in that second year, which was massive. You know, people come out of nowhere and formed a team. Yeah. The guys were cooking on beer kegs, you know, sardo grills that they knocked up in the garage. Like there was hardly a commercial smoker in the field. Uh, Actually, you know, we, we were the same with our first season. We had a lot of variation, homemade pits and uh, people cooking on kegs and drums and all kinds of contraptions. And to some, to some extent, I do actually miss those days. We don't have as much variation in the pits and yeah. as much creativity. Everyone's kind of cooking what they know will score well, which is, you know, makes it reasonably homogenous. Uh, I, I really miss, I was talking to Brendan about meat stock and we were talking about how people, you know, there was one team that were just cooking on corrugated iron that was all just put together in a teepee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we've lost a lot of that creativity in terms of making ourselves a little bit more sort of KCBS uh, style barbecue. Uh, what's the other one? The I, I, IBCA? IBCA. Yep. Yep. We're making ourselves more like those guys where sort of a box is a box is a box. Yep. Uh, whereas back in those days, people got a lot more carried away with the apparatus and a lot more hands-on. And I will say to you, though, jumping yeah. in there, a lot of that barbecue on those corrugated irons and you know, not that one in particular, but there was a lot of shit barbecue going around at the time. It was terrible. It was over-smoked. Oh. It, was, it was, you know, bits of charcoal on it. It's like someone was doing dirty steaks or something. It was terrible. And, you know, yeah. but that, that, you know, left the door open for people that knew what they're doing to actually win trophies and do well. But the big thing about those days is it was such a fun atmosphere. There was probably more beers consumed than boxes handed in, but, you know, it, it was good times back then. Yeah, and I kind of, that is something we've lost as we've kind of moved on. Not, not necessarily, I mean, I, I guess it is a, in a bad way for me, but, it, you know, we're not necessarily in a worse place because of it. Like, as you said, the food certainly got a lot better. I just yeah. look at the last couple of years of us cooking competitively and like you, you scratch your head thinking, what were we thinking back then? Yeah. But you know, you, uh, I think, uh, experience is a great teacher and we know, we, we kind of know what wins. So, so I just want to, um, so for a number of years, I guess just to summarize, I, I don't want to spend too much time walking down memory lane in terms of the ABA, 
But just to summarise, it was a number of years that you sort of oversaw the ABA in Australia and New Zealand. Yep. And we're really the men behind the scenes coordinating judges, making sure uh, judges were, uh, judging was to a standard. Uh, I mean, who produced all the paperwork? Was that Jay or was that you? A bit, um, bit of a collaboration? Yeah, definitely collaboration. Jay's always been awesome with graphics and, and front-end videos and photographs and that sort of stuff. So he excelled in that. And I think we got a lot of exposure through the work that he'd done graphically. Um, yeah. You know, I produced a lot of Word documents, which I'm sure gave him the shits, but he took that. Oh, not that just him. <laughs> you know I love my paperwork. Yeah, um, you do. You're the king of it. I did a lot of flat, flat work as far as, you know, rules and regs and that sort of stuff. Um, and he just turned it into, like, visual gold, if I could put it that way, um, which, which made us look, I think, a lot bigger and more professional than we were at the time. Like, it's a different story now. We've got... We've got 30-odd people trained up to run competitions these days across Australia and New Zealand. So it's a massive team, and it's not all me. We've got a contest committee in Australia now that looks after all contests. I basically still just do the admin, the sponsor support, you know, working with promoters and, and partners on strategic projects for, for rolling out barbecue in, in larger areas um, and national yeah. media and that sort of stuff. So I do a lot of the, the back-end stuff again, which is pretty cool. So I don't do a lot of front-end stuff now, but... The first, I think the first four years, I think I attended, I think it's about 50 of the first 65 contests or something like that. So it was, it was a lot of traveling. I, one year in particular, I spent um, 250 nights in hotels in one year. Um, yeah, that's so, ridiculous. So that was 15 out of 18 contests that I went to. And, you know, that takes its toll, but then doing promos, working with sponsors, that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of work done real early to set it all up. Um, but now it's a lot easier with a much broader team and, and the credit goes to those guys because they're all volunteers um, that, you know, turn up every other weekend to help us out. So, you know, shouts to those guys for really putting in the hard yards as well. So it definitely wasn't all me or Jay or Jess. It, it was a much bigger team effort. Yeah, for sure. And I've got to know just a small number of those guys that contribute and, yeah, it's a thankless job often because people don't know who they are, but. Yeah, uh, we certainly couldn't do our thing if you guys weren't prepared to do your thing. And, and just to some extent, even though we pay a bit of a fee for sanctioning, it doesn't go anywhere near towards covering the cost. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of human inputs and travel and all these kind of things that get overlooked by a lot of people. Yeah. I just want to move on from, uh, in terms of like the, the origins of the sanctioning, I just want to talk to you about where you see barbecue at uh, right now. Like where is the game at right now in terms of the aggregate? And then I'd like to, when we've finished covering that, I'm really, really interested in your T-shirt. So we'll go into where you've personally been competing and some of, maybe some of the projects you've been covering uh, in your spare time. Spare time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where barbecue is at right now, well, I think cutting a beer, like I could talk for four hours on where barbecue is right now, but to, to look at the major points, you've got... Australia and New Zealand absolutely pumping. Obviously, we've got a COVID thing going on at the moment, which has put a bit of a flat spin into everything. But, you know, we've got event promoters lining up to, you know, get back into it as soon as everyone's allowed to out of lockdown, obviously. Um, so yeah. I don't see a, a massive uh, issue going forward. But, you know, let's talk pre-COVID right up until a few weeks ago. Um, that there's just so much energy and drive. There's, there's a, there's a huge upturn in professionalism across the board. Um, so from sanctioning bodies to partners, sponsors, you know, teams, even the backyard cooks now are cooking stuff and they're turning up to their first contest and winning 
trophies, which is which is remarkable. So there's a huge body of information out there now online or in these podcasts that people can just tap in and go, well, hang on, I've just shortened my learning experience from potentially five or six years down to about five or six videos. And now I'm, you know, doing really well. So we've spent a lot of time over the last five or six years as a community putting together a body of work that is now being recognized worldwide. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, people in the US looking at Australia as a legit place to come and compete, compete and also New Zealand now as well. Um, you know, we've had a lot of international teams come over and compete more so in the last 18 months than we have in the last six years. Yeah, so, who have been some of those international teams just while we're on that topic, just to give them a bit of a shout out to the guys who have made the journey out. Well, we know obviously, uh, naming a few, we've got obviously Sterling Smith, who's a bit of a regular over in Australia. I don't know that he's made it to New Zealand yet. I don't believe he has, but obviously we've, we've had him come over. We just had Bad Bones Barbecue come over. Yep. Um, they, they were competed at uh, Meatstock Auckland as well as Meet Mitch, well, the, the team from Meet Mitch, which I, uh, Mitch Benjamin is uh, the main guy there who does the sources. He, he came and competed at Meatstock Auckland. Yep. Um, obviously, we had Christina and um, uh, Mike. Yeah, I was going to say Mike, wouldn't it didn't sound right? Mike and Christina came over and they helped out, they didn't compete. Who else have we had come to Australia that's competed? Big Mo's been a regular. That's right. Big Mo's, he's made about four or five trips down, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He's he's probably one of the most prolific. He's up there um, as as one of the biggest supporters of Australia and New Zealand barbecue uh, in the world. Uh, We've had, obviously, Tuffy Stone come down. He came to the first Auckland meat stock and the the personality down there, the celebrity, so that was great. Yeah, so Um, Tuffy's been out two or three times now and he's just such a lovely guy. You know, uh-huh. such an awesome person to to talk to. He's so um, happy to share anything you want to know about barbecue. He does not hold back. I, I had the privilege of spending a week with him in Sydney when he came out the first time. And he he changed my whole perspective on barbecue single-handedly. And from then, I went from someone who thought they had an idea to absolute student. Um, because I realized after talking to him how much I did not know about barbecue. Uh, I think everybody who talks to Tim realizes how much they don't know. <laughs> we'll try to. I've uh, I've been talking to Tuffy uh, recently and going to try and do a bit of a thing with him. But um, I really like to get a, get him on for two or three hours to really unfold his story because I think it's quite a remarkable journey. Yeah. But um, but who, who else has competed recently in Australia? Like in uh, Australian getting, getting basted, I think. I don't know if we covered those guys. Yeah, getting yeah. So Brad and Tim came out um, last year to Melbourne, and um, they uh, that was an interesting experience because I had seen Tim competing over in the US. Didn't really know Brad that well, but um, and still don't. But I know they cook on the drums, which is makes them kind of unique. If you go around any of the US comps. There are a lot of drums, but not a lot of guys cooking solely on drums. Yeah, and those guys are really the king of hot and fast. I remember, um, I remember seeing Sterling at the Invitational, and we'd been up all night cooking a brisket and whatnot. And uh, I think it was like seven or eight o'clock in the morning. He hadn't even lit his fires yet, and I uh, really got to unpack that concept with Brad and Tim. Uh, for those who don't know, Brad, um, I think he finished up second or third KCBS Team of the Year. And Tim come reserve grand at the uh, the Jack, yeah. And Tim owns Blues Hog Barbecue Sauce and Gateway Drum Smokers. So yeah. those guys are heavily heavily involved. Brad runs a couple of restaurants. They're heavily involved in the barbecue scene, and they were down in Melbourne. And I, I think they're I've done quite a few classes, but they're hot 
class down there at the Q Club, man, that was a real eye opener for me. I'd love to actually unpack their cooking style on 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 a, on a long form interview. But yeah, um, well, so we, we have had a, we have had a number of people. Um, now Myron Mixon's come out there to promote KCBS down there, but he, yeah. I don't think he actually competed, did he? No, he he came out to support a KCBS event um, a couple of years ago on the Central Coast, and also I think Melbourne. Uh, so he was he was out for a couple of weeks, which was great for the profile of barbecue in this region. You know, to have, sure. to have Mo, Tuffy and Myron out, you know, all in the space of a year, it really helped put, you know, the Australasian alliances on the map. Um, because after that, we, we had a steady stream. We even had a team from Canada come out late last year to compete at the uh, Kingsford Invitational in Sydney. Um, which was the Natural Wood Co. Invitational last year. I should hasten to add Who was the team from Canada? Do you remember who it was? Oh, to the tip of my tongue. I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, okay. There's a few of them there. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't. I mean, there are so many teams and the names. uh, You can can get lost even with the people that you're very familiar with. I'll do the right thing. I'll put it in the comments um, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, just saying, I mean, there's just so many to go through, but it, but it shows how, how far we've come, but where we are at the moment, we're, we're a legitimate region for barbecue. I mean, there's a little bit of a circuit going on in Europe, in the US, Australia, and also um, Jay and I had a, a little bit of a chat with some people in, in Brazil. Um, yeah. A, a really cool, um, I guess, newish type of um, program going on over there, which is really cool. Uh, I mean, I really see that Brazil was over there late, late last year and they were very much where we were maybe just a couple of years ago. There's a huge amount of enthusiasm. Yep. Tuffy was down there late last year and he, he was just received like the rock star that he is. So I really think Brazil is probably going to be the next region that really develops a league that's worth sort of going over and having a crack at. Yep. One thing for sure that I've picked up uh, in my travels was uh, there's definitely a... Uh, awareness of what's happening at what what the Americans would call down under and they, they classify New Zealand as down under and technically yep. they are. Even though I will point out we're on a whole another continent if you guys want to look up Zealandia and Wikipedia. But that's, anyway, that's I, I won't digress there. I won't digress there. Um, but uh, there's a lot of awareness about Austral- Australasian barbecue yep. and there is a uh, huge desire of people wanting to come down and compete. And, you know, a lot of those big teams over there waiting for someone else to sort of write the check. But yep. the ones who have ventured out, a good friend of mine, Chet Gentry, came out. He's cooked, uh, you know, he's got three, I think, three world champions under his belt. He came out uh, to to Auckland in February and to Melbourne last year. And he, and he contacted me about a month ago and said, hey, I want to come to Sydney next, you know. So I don't know, obviously, with COVID and all that, I don't know when that'll be. But there's definitely an awareness right now. I think we should also mention that DevaQ has been down and done quite a few promotions down down here, and and, uh, and why she's worth mentioning is because you know she was part of the original cast, or sorry, she was part of the cast from Barbecue Pitmasters, yeah. and that was really super instrumental in kicking this whole barbecue renaissance off. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think Jay will tell you a story about where he got his inspiration to do a you know, um, a contest from, and I, and I think barbecue pit masters like all of us was something that you just go, man, that's so cool. Imagine having something like that here, but you know, Jay's a guy that just went, you know, why can't we let's do it. It's like, sure. Why not? I know for, I know for myself, I was living overseas, but I, I got, um, 
I got hooked by watching Barbecue Pitmasters in yeah. in your your yeah, I just can't believe that we get to even do it, you know, just to, like that was probably 10, 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. And here we are like 10, 12 and the time flies and that's us now. We could, we could literally make a TV show that mimics what they did and at, the, at a similar, a similar level, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's great to see teams from Aussie and Kiwi going to compete at world championship events in the U S. So that's the other part of where we're at now. We've developed I guess, a body of, I think, world-class barbecue competitors and cooks that are now matching it with the best in the U.S. And obviously, the U.S. is seen as the pinnacle of barbecue, you know, oh, yeah. the founders or whatever of this style of barbecue, low and slow and pits and that sort of stuff. So to see, see Aussies and Kiwis going over there and smashing it and, you know, finishing 50 or 70 out of, you know, 600, you know, that's a massive achievement. You know, you're knocking off yeah. four or 500 American teams in one go. So any team that goes over, if they place anywhere in the top 20%, I mean, that's, that's incredible, you know, from, from how, yeah. how young our scene is. So, so people might see teams going over and competing and maybe not getting a trophy as, as well, you know, they missed the opportunity. But, hey, those guys will come back and they will win GCs now because they've competed against the best. They've, they've had that experience. Um, like yourself, you know, you've done a lot of travel in the US, obviously, and you pick up stuff from working with the best. Oh, yeah. And that's where we're at. A lot of people are now traveling to learn more, which is, which is massive. And through the ABA and NZBA, we've got partnership agreements with all the big uh, world championship events where we get seeded teams that can go over and compete. You know, they've made the prerequisites because we've got a good system and process in, in play. We're well recognized. So now we're getting the credit where, you know, a few years ago, it was harder to justify why they would let an Australian or a New Zealand team in. So we've come. Oh, look! I mean, I was I was at the Houston Livestock Show, which is one of the big ones, um, and that's held in February. And I was at that just in February before the COVID lockdown. And they've got a whole international section now. Uh, Dan Barrett was over there competing, and the guys from Manning Valley, and you know, did did extremely well. I was at uh, the Royal, the American Royal, which is the largest barbecue contest in the world. I think it's six hundred plus teams competing in two. Two, two rounds, one on uh, Friday and one on Saturday, I believe it is. Yep. Um, I might have got my days mixed up there. But, um, you know, I cooked with Smoke Face Grillers, who have obviously been one of the dominant teams in Australia the season before, yep. and uh, cooked with them, and we come 117th out of those 600-odd teams. So, like you said, placing in the top 20%. And a phenomenal, phenomenal outcome that, you know, you can't understate the difficulty of, being able to cook out of a suitcase in a foreign land with uh, driving on the wrong side of the road and with proteins that you're not necessarily familiar with. Yeah. That's a tremendous undertaking. And yeah. I just look forward to the day when we can see an Aussie team or a Kiwi team even place and like maybe even win a grand championship over there. I don't think it's too far away. I really think, you know, like um, Barbecue Mafia, I think they they placed twice uh, in the top 10 with their brisket in the yeah. in the same weekend. I mean, yeah, Royal. Yeah. That's massive effort. Um, double barrel a couple of years back, you know, best international team, you know, uh, from Australia. Um, so they, they've they I believe Manning Valley has also placed at the Houston Livestock Show. I think they placed in brisket. Yeah, they, they, they took briskets from, from Wingham, which is a country town in New South Wales in Australia. Took them over there and... And they play second at the World Championship in brisket by 
a hair. It was like in Texas. Of a point in Texas, in Houston, Texas. Not in Kansas, in Texas. Sorry, Texas. Let's. let's no, I'm just. I just. You can't. You can't uh, give them enough credit for being able to cook an Australian protein yeah. in America against the backbone of brisket country, yeah. and come out uh, with a result like that. So phenomenal work. Yeah, yeah. Hats off to the guys because. As you say, cooking out of a suitcase, I've done it a few times. It is, it is really hard. Like you've got nothing that's, that's comfortable about it whatsoever. And then to perform, it's incredibly challenging. Well, it's, uh, I mean, that's a ni- very nice uh, segue into your personal competition uh, game. And I know you've, you've been a competitor now for a long time. It's not like it's a, a new thing for you, right? You did quite a lot of competing, what was it, last, last year? Yeah, I know you've tapered back with the new business and everything, but maybe walk us through. Yeah, so I got a little bit of a late start because I was running the contest and that sort of stuff, doing a lot of the back end work. I didn't really have the opportunity to get out and just cook with the boys and the girls. Um, so I, I sat there and watched for you know the best part of two years before I could have a crack. Um, I, I have competed across five seasons now, which is pretty cool. Um, picked up a trophy in every season too. Very hard to do, but the, the, well the contest is is just it's it's going sky high every year, year on year. It's so much harder to compete these days. But I had a really good crack at it once we had trained up enough people that could allow me to step back to actually enjoy, you know, competing on the circuit as well. So early on, I really couldn't, and I probably shouldn't because I needed to teach enough people to be able to run it autonomously, so I could genuinely step back not have anything to do with the contest itself um, and compete. Um, so, you know, there's always a risk, you know, people might think, oh, it's rigged and all that sort of shit. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I copped a lot of that for a couple of years. So that sort of, it didn't hold me back, but it was always in the back of my mind. And I thought, no, bugger it. I, I'm very confident that we've got a very good system and process. And, and to be honest, New Zealand's been running autonomously for best part of a year and a half. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, people who say it's rigged are sore losers, in my opinion. But uh, I mean, it's what I mean. It was very evident to me early on that the head judge's ability to actually rig the contest is very, very limited, uh, and can be easily, easily found uh, through the spreadsheets and everything. Yeah. Uh, and and a promoter, even less so, because a promoter just outsources all the judging yeah. to uh, to the ABA or to the NZBA, as the case may be. And, you know, we copped a bit of criticism for winning Barbecue Mania too, uh, which which just uh, for those at home, we were I, I was one of the promoters for, since now brought on a, a, another promoter to manage it for me who will be revealed at a later date. But, you know, it's like not like I had anything to do with it. I, I didn't even enter into the ones where I knew the mystery protein. It was just standard four or five categories and you just cook what you cook. Yeah, that's right. And, and we, over a lot of years, put in place uh checks and balances to make sure that there was three or four independent people as part of the process so just just a real small segue or just digress if you like into the the independence of the judging and and the promotion the promoter doesn't get to see the results until the presentation they don't have anything to do with the running of the actual judging part of it that's all independently done by the nzba or the aba um, and those people have to send the results off to a third party involved to check the data. Um, not every head judge will know this, so I may be letting a little bit out that 
um, it's scrutinized because we can track keystrokes as in the back end of the system to see if anything's been adjusted and it will give us a report if something's been deleted or, or fixed up, if you like. So there's checks and balances we put in place before the presentation. That's why it takes an hour or two to get the results because the results are formulated and then they're normally sent off for someone to double check them. Um, and that's the yeah. process. So that, that, that brings in a, I guess, a, it's not a police person or a police check, but it's someone in there independently going, okay, I didn't have anything to do with the event. I'm looking at the data set only, making sure we haven't made mistakes or there's nothing being, you know, funny going on in the back. back yeah. So that, that takes time. You know, it's just, I, I've done it, you know, you wait and go, well, the results are known now. Why can't we have a presentation? But there's all this stuff that goes on in the background that we've set up over the last few years that just takes time. Uh, but the checks are there for good reasons. Well, we interviewed Brendan the other day, and one of the uh, interesting things he brought up was the uh, reverse grand champion win that Aussie Pit Boys had at Kiwi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know this might be a bit of a you know sensitive uh, topic, beer, but how would you know just for those of us in the game and for those who are interested, how does something like that you know how did that sort of happen? Was it just because I believe it was uh, was it Meat Fingers that uh, ended up winning, or there was a miscount, or maybe yeah. just walk us through that very briefly. I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to get too much in the in the in the weeds there, but that's all right. I mean, I I, I had some therapy after that um, that event right. myself. It, it all it comes down to is human error, and at the time we didn't have enough checks in place to double check data sets. And straight after that event, we implemented a whole new strategy on on having a third person look over the data set, and it wasn't right. wasn't to pick up. Um, anything other than a, a fat finger or a missed line of data entry and that sort of stuff. So we we really upgraded the system after, essentially for those who haven't heard the story, um, a couple of lines of data were, were not entered. And if you're looking at... The, so it was the, like one of the point, from what I understood, and you can verify this, it was one of the scores on one of the cards for one of the categories wasn't entered, which brought their score lower than it should have otherwise been, is that correct? Absolutely. So like in a nutshell, it's just a line of data entry that wasn't entered. Um, so yeah. the system allowed itself to, to produce results that were, were technically missing a, a set of data or basically 20 or 30 points um, yeah. you know, for, for a whole judge. So, you know, that doesn't happen now because we've built into the back end of the system. If you don't have six judge scores, it won't let you process the results. Whereas prior to that, we just rely on people just getting it right every single time. Yeah. Um, which, and you know, this is, this is a hundred contests down the track, you know, that, that we hadn't thought had a problem to go, well, what if someone misses a, entering a judge score? We just assume that everyone would get it right. Hey, look, I mean, many, a, many a business have developed many a product and adjusted many, many a product based on uh, people using a product or service in a way it wasn't intended to be used. Yeah. So uh, even you know, I was I was um, you know I was playing Monopoly with my kids this morning, and my son had like an interpretation of a rule that if you actually read it on the face of it, you would have just read it. That, that that's how it was. But yeah. and for those who are curious, it was the train stations. If you own more than one train station, the rent goes up. And what he read the card was on the card. It actually says uh, if two or more stations are owned. And he didn't realise that the same person had to own two or more stations, not that two had been bought in the game. So, 
and, and that's, I think that's a really good example of how two people can read the same thing and get a slightly different. Now, is that a pool? Is that a pool boy? Or is that your? your is that your who's are, that in the background? We are we we are getting some uh, some maintenance done. See, I promise, I'm super busy as you would appreciate. <laughs> now, so you guys are. Is that really a contracted pool boy, or is that your child? No, it is. Yeah. Oh, you're so lazy. <laughs> okay, we're well, right on. Well, uh, look, I don't want to get too distracted by it, but we are, one thing that's certain in my mind is that the current format being used in the ABA and, and in New Zealand is 100% reliable. So I have no, we talked a little bit about why that is yeah. the last episode, but I have no hesitations when I get my scores back that there's any reason that they're amiss other than something that I caused to happen. No, let, but let, let's just cap that off though. In a nutshell, it was human error. And what we did is is updated and upgraded the system to account for that error. Plus, even trying like we spent weeks and months trying to think of every scenario where we could physically get it wrong, and tried yeah. to put in fail safes to prevent that happening. So there's a lot of work that goes into the back end of these systems, and it's not a system that we could buy off the shelf and go, "Oh, here's a barbecue contest program." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build it from scratch. You know, we went from Excel spreadsheets to something now that's. Uh, that's, that's something that's in a cloud or potentially can be accessed, you know, in real time by somebody else to help us, um, you know, with any particular issues that we might have. So it, it's a very well-developed system and, and people should have full confidence. But whilst ever you got humans in the process, there'll be human error um, on that, yeah, right. that. That was the that was the real issue. And, you know, it was a really tough call to, you know, make to Trev. And, and to Have you had to do that call before up until at that point? No, no. Uh, no, and, I, and I'm sure we, we, we won't have to do it again. But you know, again, as I said, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better team. You know, like this is probably uh, you know, like, like Trev, Trev may forgive, but he certainly ain't going to forget. You know? And I wouldn't expect him to forget. Oh, you know, hats off to Trev. He took it like a true champion that he is. Uh, and and you know, I felt really bad that. You know, uh, the guys from Meek Fingers couldn't take a GC trophy and get a photo. Yeah, of course. you got to think about them too. They missed out on their big walk. It was a miserable time for, for a few. And it was, a, you know, it was frustrating. Um, but it was one of those things, just human error. And, and you learn from it. And the system is much better for it now. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, so in terms of getting back to where you're currently competing and where you have competed, as of late, so, I mean, how many comps have you done over the last twelve months, and where have they been? I have, I think, I've racked up about thirty-five contests over five years. Right. Um, so I've competed, I think, six times in New Zealand, and uh, that makes okay. Well, because this is a New Zealand show, we don't really care about what's happening in Aussies <laughs> too much. You know, maybe the Invitational and so on, the big ones. But uh, yeah. where was your last one? Was in New Zealand? Was uh, was it Napier or? Uh, the last one for me in New Zealand was Cumu this year in 2020. That's right, Cumu. Cumu. Yeah. That's right. You were very focused. I never even got to catch up with you because you were so focused. Well, you know, like, I don't know if everyone knows that I compete on my own um, solo. A um, little bit of a control freak, but also I don't have major sponsors and all that sort of stuff. And Oh, come on. You know. For me, I probably set myself a few roadblocks to success by doing it the hard way. Uh, borrow all my pits when I'm traveling, obviously, which is you know much appreciated because it's such a good community that, that's helped out. But 
I'm a little bit of a perfectionist as well. Um, not really. So good. the reality is, is you can't, you, you haven't found the right teammate to compete with that can put up with you. Is, is, is that not true? Well, I'd compete with you. <laughs> you would. I would. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, lock it in. We, I, have, I have actually had uh, the opportunity to work with a few people in Australia and New Zealand, um, but more just to just to give them an experience of cooking with someone else as well. Um, yeah. I've had a bit of bit of success, which is great. I don't I don't you know talk it up too much, but you know if there's an opportunity for me to bring someone in, he does. Wait, I'm, I yeah. just need to correct that. He does talk it up in private messages. He might not do it online, but he does do it in private messages. We're not bringing into our personal messages into this, are we? No. <laughs> no. Um, we have a standing. For those, you know, I, me and Adam, you know, I love a good challenge. And I see Adam as one of the, you know, certainly in the last few years in the New Zealand scene, one of the best imports that we've had to go up against and cook. And, and you know, there's plenty of evidence of that. Uh, I think you you won the long room last year or you come reserve. Which one was it? I so I've competed in long room twice. Uh, got reserve the first, behind the first long room. You come uh, reserve at yep, and cleaned up. I remember you had at least two or three trophies, right? Yeah, I got four. Yeah, okay, greedy. Um, so, so my point is, is that I see you as being like one of the tougher guys. You know, particularly that you keep coming back. It's not like you're a one hit wonder coming and win and then I'll never see you again. But, you know, being able to put my barbecue up against yours and being able to judge how we're doing relative to you is, you know, a great benchmark. And we've had many a uh, wager over the years, haven't we? Usually yeah. on lamb. Yeah. Um, now, I do believe we had a wager at that original long room cup, uh, for lamb, and I think I got smoked in it, actually. I think I come like, yeah. way down. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, I think it was lamb shimmy, I think is what you called my... Uh, I think, my I think two days after the contest, your lamb was still cooking. I think I think yeah. we talked about, yeah. I like it rare. I mean, what am I going to say, right? It's definitely. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the long room uh, this time around, I believe you did extremely well. At, you know, you got to... Yeah, no, you remember? it was top five. Um, top five. Pulled first in lamb and then top five um, overall. Oh. But... It was it was a really tight field, but we had smoke faced grillers. Um, That's right. We they were over. they were on fire at the time, you know. And they coming off they were coming off three or four GC wins or something like that. They were they were really on fire, which is great because I you I mean it's great to go up against the best. I mean they finished second overall in Australia that year, so you know for them they were peaking, um, and and to come so close to to those guys and also yourselves, um, more better. Um, we're getting more better every time they competed, and obviously you guys have got a couple. I think of we come third in that comp. I think it was, yeah, yeah. So it was. But you know, as much as I'm thrilled to beat people like you, it, I mean, it's just you're competing against yourself as much as anyone. You know, like I mean, yeah, I've lost to you more times than I beat you, uh, and it's only it's only as we've really tried to dial in, dial in, and dial in, and really, I mean, we're cooking a lot now. You know, I'm cooking at as many comps as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously taking care of work and whatnot, so you don't get to do it as much. So, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding. You're able to maybe win a couple more than you otherwise would have just from the nature that you're doing, simple fact, you're doing more of them. Yeah, that's right. And I, I like to compete more so to, um, I don't know, get, get involved with, things happening on the ground because when you when you're running an organization you can only really understand what's happening if you're really involved in it 
so for me, my motivation for competing was was to learn a lot, to interact with people, obviously from New Zealand and Australia, to get to know the people that are actually competing. Um, but it's also a great um, social event as well. You know, catching up with people that you you talk to on, on, on Zoom or Skype or whatever all the time. And it's just good to have a beer with them, you know. Um, but it's a great meeting place for industry people as well. So I, I probably have as many meetings every time I go to a contest as, as hand inboxes uh, on a commercial level or a professional level. So I've always got other things that I'm doing at a contest as well, maybe helping someone or, you know, writing contracts or something for support or sponsorship, that sort of stuff. So I've got a lot of things that I do, but the competing, it's a real, it's a real fun part of the whole trip out. Um, and, and it's great just to catch up with people and just, you know, just see them progressing as well. You know, it's, it, it gets, as I said before, it gets harder and harder to compete every time you go out because everyone's improving out of sight. Absolutely. I don't think you can sit on your laurels for even for a minute. I mean, the people who were winning with a certain profile recipe method a year ago can come back and come mid packers with that same profile and, and recipe it's just like the, the tide keeps rising and you yeah. either rise with it or you get drowned by it that's right but you also learn you know there's, there's new rubs and sauces coming out all the time and some of them way better than ones you were using last time out and and for me that sure. helps with oh, you know i'm learning new flavor profiles i'm staying up to date with what what products are out there in the marketplace and you know i bring a lot of the recipes that i use in contest into my own um, barbecue cafe that i've got here in port macquarie and a lot of our customers go, man, I've never tasted anything like that. And, and to be fair, some of those flavor profiles, you might end up in the bottom half of the contest. But for people who have never tasted barbecue before, it's the best thing they've ever, ever eaten. So, you know, just staying on top of flavor profiles and rubs and sauces and stuff, it actually has a lot of benefit when, you, when you're bringing it back to a commercial level. Oh, look, for sure. For me, I always, um, obviously, I run a commercial business with barbecue. And for me, I always just see competing as my personal development. It's like going to a business conference for the weekend. You uh, come away re-enthused about barbecue. You come away with some new ideas and you bring that all back to work. And it definitely translates to be some benefit to the business. So yeah, 100% agree with you there. So tell us a little bit about your cookbook. Last, last last year, you released a cookbook called Ribs. Yeah. Um, Ribs, I guess you'd call it in Australia. Yes. And um, look, um, I believe it's been through a second printing, is it now, or a revision of some kind? Yeah, look, it's it's it was um, just like Jared Hayen, and it's always been a dream of mine to uh, to write a cookbook. Um, I I tried to come up with a number of different ways of pre presenting a cookbook because I've I've loved cooking for twenty plus years. Um, you know, my first job was flipping burgers at a Red Rooster store here in in Australia, and I'd, I'd love cooking, but I'd never really had an outlet or, an, or a need or just like a opportunity to put all my ideas together in a book. And to be honest, I was writing a book for years, um, you know, doing a lot of food on foot tours around the world, you know, developing flavor profiles, that sort of stuff. And it just so happened that off the back of starting the ABA, I got recognized for being, I guess, at the forefront of, of this style of cooking, which was low and slow. So I got approached by a, a book publisher who said, look, we would love you to write a book for us. Um, there's so many barbecue books out there, but we've, we've, we've really got a desire to see something on ribs. You know, can you put together a book that has ribs as part of it? And I said, well, why don't we do a whole book on ribs? 
because there's so many different ways you can do it. So over a year or so, I wrote uh, 47-odd original ribs recipes covering chicken, lamb, pork, and beef ribs, um, bringing in recipes and, and ideas that um, would help you cook ribs any way you like. So the book itself has a dual purpose. The foreword, I, I took a lot of time to write the, 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 the first chapter as a low and slow guide because low and slow was still something that people just couldn't get their head around or, or they didn't know how to do it properly. So I took the first part of the book just to write a guide on the fundamentals of cooking over charcoal and, and, and wood and that sort of stuff. So the book serves a, a purpose of giving people the idea, but I wanted to take people from their inside kitchen to the out and then mix the both. So the recipes in there are not all grilling and low and slow. They're, you know, dare I say it, there's, there's fried chicken ribs, there's uh, fried lamb ribs, you know, using a benchtop fryer. There's a pressure cooker option in okay, there. So it's really a cookbook about ribs, not a cookbook about barbecue, but it's got, probably got a heavy influence on, on yeah. barbecue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got a copy of it around here somewhere. Yeah, so it essentially takes people from where they're comfortable cooking ribs but it, it's pretty heavy on the grilling and the low and slow smoking as well. But there's enough support there that they can just read it a couple of times and then grasp the idea. No, I really like the pistachio recipe in there. That's really something that uh, wowed the barbecue scene. Can you yeah. just tell us what chapter that's in and what it come under? Uh, well, at the time, I mean, I after writing so many recipes and you know, spending a week with a photographer and food stylist, you know, presenting ribs. So I had to come up with some stuff that was visually quite appealing as much as a recipe. And everyone knows I like playing with nuts. So, you know, crushing up a few pistachios, <laughs> sprinkling it over the top of some ribs. It looked visually pretty cool. Now, but is it a pork rib or a lamb rib? I seem to remember it being a, a, pork a rib. lamb rib. Yeah, it, it's one of my, my signature recipes is a, is a low and slow sticky pork ribs with pistachio crust. And that made the uh, that photo made the cover of the first book, but that first book um, that sold thousands of copies across Australia and New Zealand in a short space of time. And the publishers uh, gave me a call about a year or so ago and said, "Look, we we want to do a reprint of the book, but um, we recognise the price point of the book is probably a little too high for a general majority. So what mm -hmm. they wanted to do was." add a little extra feature in a new chapter, which is called sides. So now we oh, have sorry. sides. So now oh, sides, yeah. ribs and sides. So everything yeah. from the mac and cheese, jalapeno poppers, you know, a grilled fruit salad, like just some real random stuff that you can do on the, on the grills and smokers as well. So I, I reshot, uh, I think 10 new recipes with a photographer. Actually, Jay took the photography for that um, second, um, second sorry, I can't think of a better photographer. Yeah, so we, we spent a couple of days, um, you know, cooking, taking photos, um, submitted the recipes. The book was reprinted in a soft cover, which brought the price down quite a lot. So now the book's about 40% cheaper, which means it can get into a lot more bookstores as well. So that, that was um, re-released late last year in 2019. And how's, how's the new, new edition been going? Yeah, really good. It's, it's, been, going, it's been going great. Um, you know, it's been helpful as well because people are always asking well what do you put with ribs you know so I, I put together a whole bunch of recipes that you could you know just spend a bit of time just mastering sides for, for rib dishes and that sort of stuff fantastic well what have you got planned in the near future Adam I mean you're obviously very busy at the Q Deli which is a bit of a, a project 
I guess the last 12 months you've been working on that one and it seems to be going well for you. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. There was an opportunity. I mean, I've traveled so much over the last four or five years. I really just wanted to stay at home, you know, like spend a bit more time with the kids. My kids are 13 and 11, got a great wife who's been supportive for so many years. And, you know, the only way I was going to stay home is if I did a project here at home in Port Macquarie. Um, yeah. so there was an opportunity to buy a, a fish and chip shop in an industrial area in our, in our industrial area of Port Macquarie. And this, this business had been sort of ticking along a little bit, but it wasn't doing anything flash. But I saw the kitchen, the profile of the area, you know, growing. But also there was a desire from a lot of local people off the back of those contests that were in, in Port Macquarie those barbecue contests to have a place where they could get barbecue any day of the week. And there was no one doing it. Yeah, so you're the only one that's doing barbecue up there? The only one doing it full time. There's a couple of people yeah. who do a special here with a brisket burger or a pulled pork burger. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like that, but we're, we're the only full time barbecue place in Port Macquarie. So it was a huge opportunity yes. to get involved and, you know, just share the love even more, but also learn a lot. Um, so I, had a really good mate, um, Gary Waddell, who's who's my butcher. Um, he'd owned five or six butcher shops over 40 years and he'd retired a couple of years ago and we'd stayed good mates because he used to supply all my meats for contests and that sort of stuff. And I said, well, why don't you, you come in and make me some sausages and we'll do bacon and pastrami and that sort of stuff. So the, the two of us have been, I guess, the engine room um, for, for Q Deli, which is a barbecue cafe, as we call it. Um, but we've taken a lot of the recipes that I was using in contest barbecue and producing them on a commercial level, which is super hard to do and try and maintain the quality, the texture, the flavors that you, you would see at a barbecue contest, but, but also trying to meet a price point because no one wants to pay, you know, over the odds for really good barbecue. It's a really, it's a hard slog. Um, some may. Yeah. Well, you can't sustain it. I mean, there's a few businesses uh, in the world that are, real international destinations and I was talking with Wayne Mueller yeah he'd stopped Melbourne before it got canned and got to know Wayne a little bit in Brazil and you know just a really good dude and been running a family business up there for three generations and he, he you know they rely on the gastro tourists to keep that place in business or at least they have but I believe yeah. talking to Wayne that they've had to pivot significantly to stay keep the doors open during yeah. COVID-19 but you know, there's a few of those type of places globally, and most of them in, in Austin or near Austin, yeah. that you can rely on people flying halfway around the world to come and eat your food. Yeah. But, you know, my experience is that most people aren't prepared to travel very far for uh, well, Tuesday we, night takeaways. Yeah, well, you can't afford to eat 50 and $60 takeaway meals every other night. Or in, in the area that I've set up a shop or a cafe, is it's an industrial area, there's office workers, there's factory workers, they might only have 12 to 15 bucks to spend on lunch with a drink. So I've had to develop a menu from, from scratch, still tr staying true to barbecue generally that would meet the market. So that was a total shift for me. And, and also, you know, if we had a slow day, the weather was too hot or it was too cold, we didn't get the customers. You don't want to be throwing barbecue away because it's, it's so expensive to buy anyway and to produce. So I came up with, you know, I think we've tested about 40 different menu options over the last 10 or 12 months that appeal to a, a customer base that's available in front of us. And we yeah. always get people traveling through from Sydney to, to Brisbane who stop in and, you know, they'll, they'll spend whatever they want to. Um, but our market is our local, um, local base of customers. 
So it, it was yeah, and no, we're the same here in Hamilton. We're not a big city. We're only a hundred and I think sixty thousand or something like that. Yep. And you know, I always told my uh, associate, you know, people who work with me or contribute to the business, that you know, the guy comes down and spends whatever dollars with us every Thursday. He's the guy that we want to look after. As much as we care about people that come in from Australia to try our food, they're sort of a one a one time revenue stream. Yeah. Whereas the guy who comes every Thursday for a sandwich, he's literally keeping the lights on down there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so we've recognised that at the shop and we cater to our locals first and foremost. Um, we're in a very uh, high volume tourist area in Pumacore. It's a beautiful spot to come and visit. You should pay us a visit sometime. Um, I'm planning on it, especially now that I know you'd be prepared to compete with me. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So, so we look after our locals first and foremost, but we've also, like I do classes at the shop you know, I, I did, uh, I think I've done about 20 classes at the shop in 10 months. So, nice. you know, we're, we're educating people. So people that come and do the class, they've, they've probably not experienced barbecue on a, on a certain level. But those customers come back and now buy briskets off me, buy ribs, buy sauces, rubs. So we're growing our customer base by education. Um, but yeah. that's a passion of mine, you know, educating um, on how cool low and slow is. Um, how flavorful it can be, uh, but also just helping people with their barbecue journey. So we're now seen as a bit of a, I guess, a go-to place for anything to do with wood, wood-fired barbecue, which is really cool. Um, but we yeah, we're a funny, food. we're a funny industry like that. Like uh, we've got a lot to learn from like the DIY industry. And remember yeah. when all these project and the block and all this type of stuff came out, the tradies were all up in arms because they sort of saw that their trade secrets would be yeah. given to the average man. And uh, that's really not the case. Uh, if anything, people go home and have a go at tiling, screw it all up, yeah. and then they have to pay a tradie to come in and fix up their bodge ups, you know. Yeah. And uh, if anything, it's actually exponentially growing their market. Whereas, uh, and, that, and, and that same rule can apply to barbecuing. Like, so many people are fearful that once someone learns how to cook a brisket, they won't come and buy it from Texas Pete's or Q Deli. But it's really not the case. I mean, I just had one of our great customers messaged me and said, you know, I can cook as good a brisket as you or even better, and it's fine. But you know what? I don't have to invest 12 hours doing it. I just come down, yeah. pick it up, and within 10 minutes, i got my food. And that really is what the, you know, it's really about empowering people with choices and yeah. educating them about what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And uh, definitely grows the business and grows the, the segment of the market. Yeah, it does. And we, we get a lot of people coming in buying a whole brisket and whilst they're there during lunch, they'll buy a Cuban sandwich off us every day of the week. They're like, oh, while I'm here, I'm going to grab some lunch um, to go or to have in or whatever. But, you know, we, we're showing them also that that piece of meat you bought, we actually use in the shop and this is how, this is, this is what we do with it. And I've always been very open with our customers about trying to help them to get their food tasting amazing because these guys are investing a lot of time and money and effort into, you know, doing barbecue. We don't want to just sell them a piece of meat and go, you know, good luck with that. Let's know. She'll be right. Take that. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to make these guys, you know, you know, professional as they can be when it comes to cooking a 80 or a hundred dollar piece of meat, you know, you, you, cause you won't have people coming back if you don't teach them the right way to cook it. They're just going to go, it's too hard. I can't do it. You know, I wasn't getting any help on how to do it properly. So I've taken an approach to really, really do a lot of micro work with our customer base and they keep coming back. And then in this time of COVID, 
we had to shut down our lunch service, our coffee service from the cafe, and we're now relying on that customer base to come and buy meat packs off us, which has gone, frankly, better than it was in the previous 10 months, which is phenomenal. You know, the amount of stuff we've got. But we put out a call and said, look, you know, uh, if you want us to be around, this is a time to support. So Yeah, for sure. People have been really good during this COVID times to just step up and help where needed. Well, I've, you know, I've learned so much working with our butcher, Gary. We, we make our own sausages. So we make jalapeno and cheddar, kransky, our chorizos are the bomb. They are so good. Uh, we do a fresh beef sausage. Right this afternoon, I'm working on a chili mix to make a chili beef sausage. So we're coming up with new things all the time, but we can make it in-house. We smoke our own bacon. We make pastrami brisket. Like there's a lot of, we're pushing boundaries on a lot of stuff. And it's a lot of work, but I'm, I'm just learning so much. So for me, it's, it's a massive opportunity to learn as much as to service uh, our, our customer base. Fantastic. So just getting back to like, um, so I mean, I think that's really interesting. But you, I mean, you're really going 360 with the whole thing in terms of, uh, you know, sanctioning, competing, uh, QDLing, you've done authoring, I think the last thing you got to do is build your own barbecue, but we can maybe flat pack something and send it up to you. But, uh, but um, I just wanted to ask you something that came across my head while we was um, talking was, you know, the current season is, seems to be in limbo. Yeah. So, and we're not sure how many events are going to come back after, you know, when we even will get out to be able to hold events. So with the current leaderboard in Australia and New Zealand, what, what, what sort of your thoughts there without giving an official press release? Well, yeah. What's your opinion of what will happen there in terms of um, the leaderboard for the year? I think, I mean, you know, I'll, I have had some some discussions with our executive group about what we're doing in Australia. And, and I'm sure Luke's got a, a good handle on what New Zealand will be doing. And I don't want to, you know, talk too much about specifics, but there is options. There's plenty of options. You know, we may extend the season into the first couple of months of next year to get a, a X amount of contests up to make sure it's, you know, we have enough contests run that it's fair for everybody to have had access to an event to to get some points up on the leaderboard. At the moment, we just don't have an end date for when, you know, we'll be allowed out to play, if you like. So at the moment, we're we're in a state of stability, but, you know, we don't have enough parameters to work with at the moment to make some, you know, specific calls. But we have in Australia, you know, a number of promoters who are going, you know what, even though we've postponed to next year, there's an opportunity for us to maybe do something smaller this year or at the back end of the year, we might have, you know, say 10 events in eight, eight weeks or something. So we're, we're very open uh, in Australia to running multiple events across the country in a short space of time to get the number of events up where it's fair. Yeah, right. So at the moment... Well, well equipped to do it too. I mean, you've got a lot of uh, head judge capability in Australia. We do, we do, yeah. So New Zealand may be slightly different, but at, at the same time, there's there's always that option to draw on the expertise or the support from Australia. If we're allowed to fly judges to New Zealand, if it's needed, we have the body of people trained up to be able to do that. So there's so many options. So I don't think people should be too worried about what's what's going to happen at the end or whether people that have already competed are going to be an advantage. I think what we do always is make sure that there's as, not, there's, a, there's as much fairness in the system as possible. Um, you know, being a competitor myself, I wouldn't want to see yeah. someone who had access to five or six events in the first two months of this year just win it by default. 
So, you know, to give yeah. confidence to the, to the whole system, we're looking at, okay, well, what's a fair scenario here? None of us have experienced this before. So there's no rule book on what you do, but the main principle would be fairness and access. Yeah, of course. Of course. In Australia, well, it's good that you guys have thought about it and come up with some options, so it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like simple things would be if there's events with caps on number of teams, we, we would genuinely ask promoters to release that take cap. Take a little. Take yeah. more, you know, to be able to cater for people who actually want to compete. So there's, there's things that we're doing in the background to, to try and make it as fair as possible. Now, just in terms of Aussie, because I'm always watching the Aussies, uh, you know, the Aussie game and just seeing who's who's where and mm-hmm. what's happening. I, I had planned to compete a couple of times in Aussie this year, but whether or not we'll get to do that remains to be seen. But uh, who's, so, you know, who's your, who, who are you watching this season? Obviously, yeah. we had a really tight year last year. I mean, uh, with the new, with the new way that, the tally count is added up, 100 points coming first and all that. I mean, yeah. how is that working? And, and I guess, uh, has it worked out? Did last year work out different to how you thought it would? I mean, they would have known the Butchers that will pull off. I think they've got five grand champions for the year. Yeah, look, I think, I think being around as long as I have, you have periods where teams have just totally dominated. Um, but the true GCs they are, they actually share that information with a lot more people than they would let on. So there's a lot of teams around them that would be just sucking up that information and improving and getting better. We've never seen a back-to-back champion in six years. Okay, um, so who's, who won last last year? Was uh, it um, the Smoking? No. So Butcher's Axe won the Aussie series last year. Last year? Who won the year before that? That was the Beard and the Barbecue. That's right. And then who was before that one? That was cool. Big Smoke Barbecue. Yeah, Big Smoke. Okay, so Big Smoke... Uh, the beard and the barbecue, which is no longer competing. Is that right? Knuckle Smokers won the year before that as well. What's that? Suck Knuckle Smokers. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've got, you've got some massive um, ability in just those guys alone. Oh, yeah. They are still finishing in the top 10 in, in, in top 20 every year that they compete. So yeah. those guys are still in the mix. You know, they, they might... I mean, you're splitting gears really to determine who, who, who the best best team is and yeah i think like the the key word with competitive barbecue is consistency and yeah and 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 you know tony and those guys they they had a good year um a couple of year, seasons ago and i know tony's on a bit of a hiatus but uh you know it's uh you know um butcher's axe five grand champions i know my buddies at Smokeface. i mean they're, they're no joke they had a really good season last year yeah. but uh you know you're splitting hairs and to be the national champion as as Butcher's Axe achieved last year, I mean, phenomenal just to be able to cook at that level consistently throughout the year. And you know, we've seen some big names like Roland Smoke and you know, a few few of those other teams that are constantly nipping at the heels of the guys at the top. And uh, so, who, who are you watching this year? Um, awesome. If you had to say, look, I'm going to put a bit of a wager on this and that team, who would you be saying is the most dangerous team in Australia right now? You know what? I was thinking about this not long ago. It's the teams that have split into multiple teams that you really, you, you, may, you may not have heard of them, but if you know the people involved in the teams, you go, well, they're a massive chance coming out of apparent nowhere, but they've been yeah. for years. So um, Bison Barbecue, uh, you know, Big Smoke Barbecue split 
you know, last year and there's two awesome teams now. Um, Bison Barbecue, uh, I think, you know, wants to watch. So if you're up to date with who these people are, it wouldn't be a surprise. But for some people, they might go, I've never heard of them. But if you know the... Is there a place, just off the top of my head, I mean, obviously we're in the thick of it, so we kind of keep tabs on it. But is, is there an actual section of the ABA page or NZBA page or anywhere else for that matter where you can actually look some of these teams up and get a bit of a bearing on who's in the team and... Um, is there anyone that's doing that yet, or is that a huge opportunity for me to put together something? Uh, well, yeah, obviously you can do some work for us if you if you if you want to. But is there anyone doing it? Is, is there anyone who's actually got a bit of a like look up your favourite team and actually get to understand who's in the team? I think the shortcut would be to have a look at the leaderboards from the previous years because yeah. the champions that we've seen have competed in previous years, and I think Suck Knuckle one of the first national champions or the first national champion. Um, it looked as though they came out of nowhere, but, you know, Craig and, and Michelle and, um, and and the crew there cooked out of their skin in such a short space of time. They, they really popped out of the crowd real early, um, but they've stuck in the, in, the, in the top echelon for years after that. Um, so I think you just have to look at the top 20, maybe top 40, it's really interesting because the top 40s now condense so much in, in points that you wouldn't discount anyone that's placed in the top 40 in Australia in particular of taking out a national champion, such as the, the tightness of the contest. So if you look at the top 40 in Australia right now, any one of those teams, I wouldn't be surprised to see them take out a national champ series. Well, I've got to say, even though you're not prepared to, to stump a team name up, mm-hmm. I'd like to really see Trev win. Aussie Pit Boys is obviously... Uh, cooking by himself right now. He's absolutely off fire probably the last, I don't know, year maybe. Six months for sure. He um, is just killing it on all fronts. Uh, and then naturally, I'd also like to see Smokeface do well again this year, whether they can actually uh, take number one or not. It's anyone's guess. Um, I've been talking to Jai about getting him on the show to find out what's going on there. But um, I obviously caught those guys um, in, uh, at the Royal, like I mentioned earlier, and they've come over to New Zealand, uh, I think, two or three times now. Uh, yeah, three times. Uh, two, 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 three times, whatever it is. And so, obviously, you know, these guys who are competing in New Zealand, they're, they're sort of our favourites. And Trev was one of the first uh, to come over on a consistent basis and cook. So we're, we're absolutely thrilled to see him cleaning up. Yes. Cleaning up. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, Trev's, um, he, but he's a, he's a fanatic. He works so hard. And, and I think that's something that people don't see. I mean, you can see a Facebook profile here and there, but if you actually see how much work these guys put into the back end of their preparation, um, how organised they are at the contest, you go, you can't do anything but, you know, take your hat up to them, really, because they've put in the work. And if you're only competing... Um, you know, four or five events a year, you're probably not going to get the experience either that you're going to be able to deal with all types of comp- uh, like conditions and, and contest formats. So the guys that are doing multiple events every year, putting in the hard yards in between events and traveling so much, they pick up so much more information. Um, the other guys yeah. to watch are the guys that have food trucks, restaurants, cafes, that sort of stuff, because they cook every single day of the week. So it doesn't matter if someone throws them a brisket and says, you know, good luck, um, let's compete. They'll probably be able to handle the conditions of that pretty easy uh, because they cook every single day. 
So if you're trying to pick a national champion or a form guide, I would always look at guys that have been there and done that before, guys that are traveling, traveling internationally, guys that are cooking seven days a week, and guys that are preparing no end to do, to do well at a contest. I will say, yeah. though, so many different versions of barbecue out there. Contest barbecue is a single measure of how good a team is. Catering mm-hmm. and other uh, major events uh, and even running their own business. I mean, there's so many different elements to barbecue and then you've got your home cooking as well. So, you know, for people who aren't doing that well in contest, it really comes down to the, there's guys probably in front of them that have just got way more experience or cook a heck of a lot more. And if they want to get into that top echelon, all it is is doing the work. It's like anything else. You, you do the training, you do the preparation, and you're going to do well. The system works really well. We've seen that over multiple years with the same teams winning. They have a formula. They have worked it out to a degree where they can be ultra consistent, but every single one of those guys has not got there by luck. It's been through sheer hard work. You know, actually, um, I do I do agree and for the most part with that. I, I do think, though, there's a lot of people who cook commercially that don't cook well in comps. There's a lot of people that cook well in comps but don't cook well commercially. There's a lot of backyard guys that, you know, cook phenomenally good barbecue but wouldn't be good at comps or at... Uh, commercial cooking so i think there's a unique individual that can do both which you're able to do obviously my hat off to you and um you know someone that i've i've been watching closely you know and, learnt, and i've learned a lot you know from a lot of people definitely including yourself i know a lot of the boys here have picked your brains and um i know um, our national champions for last year barbecue war i know John cooked with you at the long room and I know that you guys have uh, he's picked your brains on a number of issues and fronts and you know it's good that we're such a generous group with our information it's not like I mean yeah there are I guess some secrets to putting everything together yeah. but I, I think if I was to lay out our comp recipes and everything I don't think that'd really be a, a big shock to anyone there's no sort of hey we put our sauce on at this time instead of that time and yeah. I think everything that can be done has been done. Uh, teams have tried. And I think uh, just the guys who are doing well are the guys that just seem to somehow um, consistently put it together. And a lot of it is down to sheer hard work. And I know going back to Trev and talking to Brendan and now, and now you and I know Big Mo, I mean, these guys that cook by themselves are just absolute beasts in terms of uh, organisation and and being able to multitask. And, you know, I mean, I say it again, I cook with three or four competent cooks and, you know, when I've cooked in the US, it's with six, seven other people uh, and, you know, uh, many hands make light work. So my hat off to guys who do it, do it alone, but, you know, they're just control freaks at the end of the day. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's phenomenal to, to watch the results that have been coming in and it'll be interesting to see how the season ends up, particularly with COVID. Are you uh, planning any competitions that you know are definitely kind of locked in if they go ahead for yourself? Um, I would love to get out back uh, back out there to Kiwi at least once before the end of the year if we can. Maybe um, a three at the end of that t-shirt. Maybe yeah. Maybe see yeah. what Barbecue Mania three well, would look like on you. See, Barbecue Mania has this thing about undisputed, and the last time I was at uh, Hamilton, I won brisket. So it would be a pretty cool little thing to have an undisputed brisket champion trophy on my counter at work, which would be pretty cool. But having said that, 
Um, there, there's a few contests later in the year. It, it's a shame that Sydney meat stock couldn't go ahead um, this year. Obviously, it, it, it's a you know it's, it's frustrating. I think, but I think we just have to have a look at what events are able to actually go ahead this year. And I'll to be honest, I'll probably pick three or four of those wherever I can get to. Like a lot of other competitors, wherever there's a contest on, I think we're all itching to get back into it. We may be a little rushed at a time off. We might have been cooking a few too many fried chicken burgers in between and not practicing our brisket for some people. But, you know, I think it'd be a really, it'd be a frantic back end to the season if we're able to get going by about August, September, if we can. Uh, and, well, look, know, I've, um, I've been, I mean, there's no reason to think about it. Cumania 3 won't go ahead. I haven't confirmed it with the sponsors yet. I'm yeah. just letting them sort of find out what impact this is going to have on their business. Obviously, we rely on um, some great businesses to support that event. But what I can tell you is if, if we go ahead with Barbecue Mania, it will be, you know, I've always tried to push the envelope with Barbecue Mania in terms of trying to offer something different. We were the first to offer a braai contest. We were the first to offer a, uh, you know, duck at a competition. We were the first to offer, um, what we do, Spitmasters. We did the Spitmaster Slam. We were the first to do the Weber Go Anywhere contest. So, I always tried to push the push the envelope in terms of what guys can compete with and try and get the creative juices flowing. Yep. What I can tell you is if we can put together the comp this year, it's going to be a comp to remember. It is going to be um, something that's never been done in New Zealand before and I'm pretty sure never been done in Australia. Yep. And so uh, watch the space. And, and of course, we would love to have you there to defend your brisket title. If I can't, it's not the end of the world, but I, I'd love to do it. But at the same time, I think I'm feeling... You know the the nervous energy of trying to you know just plan out the back end of the season like everyone else. Like, what events can I get to? So, I think at the back end of this, we'll probably see a renewed um, enthusiasm, if you like, for getting back into contest barbecue, which would be really cool. Um, but we'll probably appreciate it a little bit more as well because once you have a, a, a flood of events, you can pick and choose and all the rest of it you may become a little complacent or go, oh, well, I might not go to that one or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, when there's potentially limited opportunities, I think you'll see a lot more people, you know, making it work, you know, doing whatever they can. And Australia is a very big country geographically. So there's, there's going to be some physical constraints there and not everyone's got thousands of dollars in their back pocket to, to do as many. But I think you'll see if you want to compete somewhere, I think what we're going to do is the ABA and then possibly NCBA is just try and make sure that whoever wants to compete is going to get an opportunity. And I, I think, you know, if promoters come on board with that theory. I think we'll have a pretty solid back end to the season for sure. Yeah, cool. And uh, have you got any new projects in the works? Um, I know you're, I mean, I'd like to hope that you're, uh, hopefully on the success of ribs, maybe another cookbook or I don't know, what have you got? Um, no, you got a full plate right now. Look at him laughing. You got a full plate right now with the deli and everything. You know, two kids. And but have you got any projects that you're prepared to disclose at this time, or like what are you looking at? Looking down the barrel of outside of competitive competition barbecue and the Q deli. Yeah, um, Q delis. You know, it's ticking along nicely. That that'll continue. Um, we're doing enough to pay the rent, keep the lights on at the moment, which is really cool. Um, and appreciate our customers for for helping us do that. Um, I've got a few personal projects that I'm working on. Yes, another book is being written as we speak. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So Fantastic. 
That'll you hear it here first, guys. Oh, you hear it here first, guys. So it's probably going to be a beef book, I imagine. Uh, exclusive, yeah. Um, Where do you okay. go from ribs, I suppose? Well, I'm going to do a lot of cooking on gas barbecues. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, I've always said, and mark my words, people, I've always said it's not the appliance that makes the barbecue. It's the barbecue that makes the barbecue. That was a joke, but at the same time, I've got a massive project that I'm working on as we speak, which I can't talk about yeah, cool. yet, but it will, uh, without overplaying it, be something that's never been seen before in World Barbecue. Wow. This is exciting. The scale stuff. and the size and the... Well, the, when, can we, uh, when can we expect to see an update? I mean, when are you going to let the cat out of the bag? I mean, can we hear it live on Project Barbecue? But <laughs> we'll have to tune in again later in the in the series to to get an update. I think, but but the thing is with with everything that I do, I I've always um, looked ahead by a year or two with with my barbecue journey, and at the moment I'm at the start of a massive project that could take twelve months for people to actually see a physical result. But drawing on all the experience I've had over the last six or seven years in barbecue. It'll be a culmination of that. But then by the time that comes out, I'll probably be working on something for the year after that. So I always work yeah, on a year or two in advance. And, you know, that helps keep things moving along. But more importantly for me personally, it's, it's, I like pioneering stuff, um, you know, creating something that's just very unique. So I probably won't do the same thing twice, but just keep trying to raise the bar. And, you know, it's like competition barbecue. Every time you go out in the park, you want to do better and better and do something a little bit more interesting and see how it goes. And yeah, I've got a lot of support within the barbecue industry. So I think the industry is very strong and they're investing at the moment into some really big projects going forward. So there's a lot of confidence in barbecue is going to be around for, for quite a few years to come for sure. Oh, look, I mean, Adam barbecues, we're still barbecuing. So barbecuing's not going anywhere. I mean, we had a little, break from uh, charcoal in the 80s uh, using the gas became very popular in the 80s and 90s but you know yeah thank the lord we're back with charcoal and uh, look i'm totally excited to see what what this might project might involve and uh you know keep us posted yeah and uh let us know as soon as there's any info about where we can support it or show excitement for it or follow it or whatever whatever it might be yeah for sure um you know i'm pretty active on social media as you know people can Check out the Q Deli Facebook page, uh, but you know the ABA generally, I think is is still the most important aspect of anything I do in barbecue. Um, I still general manage that. I still want to make sure that our partners keep involved in the sport side of things. Um, so I'm working a lot with our major partners to make sure that we do have a, a continuity of the contest series because it's such an important part of the whole scene. It's a meeting place. It's a place for people to come together. You know, it's all that brotherhood stuff of, of barbecue. You know, without contests, uh, it, it would be a pretty flat existence, I think. You've got to get out there and, and, and meet with people, have a couple of beers, whatever it is, just shake hands, you know, when we can. Uh, you know, just get involved in, in something um, that's bigger than the individual or the backyard. So working with our partners from, a, from a, an organisation point of view, I do that every other day of the week. So that... that is in a very good position going forward. So we'll see, you know, the the, con the contest series, but also the organisations going really well over the next few years. So it's now backfilling that with some cool stuff, some promos, 
some some new style events and you know i don't foresee any major rule changes or anything because i think we're in a in a place where contests are as good as they've ever been mm -hmm. so i wouldn't expect anything too out of the box from that point of view but you know just it i mean i can't understate how tricky it is to keep a sanctioning body afloat uh and it, it is only afloat through the the generosity and the support of our promoters and the the uh the partners that help fund the back end so i think a lot of people wouldn't understand that even though they might pay 30 or 40 or 50 bucks to compete that goes to a sanctioning body that doesn't go anywhere near to covering the costs of running an organization and there's the sponsors that put in money to help fund the organization which makes it viable so we've always got to you know thank our sponsors or use their products wherever possible um, so a lot of the stuff I've got coming up is to support a lot of our partners uh, across both countries to make sure that they get the recognition they need for their investment, but in, in aid of making sure everything continues to go around. So, yeah, a lot of work, but, you know, it's pretty exciting at the same time. Well, fantastic. Well, look, we've uh, I just looked at the time. We've been going an hour and a half, and uh, I think that's probably as long as the average person's prepared to listen if they've even made it this far. <laughs> but uh, I, look, I had a hell of a good time chatting to you and I uh, appreciate you giving up some time uh, during uh, you know during this difficult time for businesses. Thanks for your time today and I uh, hope that uh, people enjoyed listening to the, you know, to the show, to the last hour and a half of their life. And uh, go ahead and give us a like and a follow. Go ahead and head over to QDally. Now, is it spelt properly or is it with a, with a Q? It's spelled C-U-E. Thank you. I mean, I, I applaud it. Yeah. I applaud it. The man can spell barbecue. So he spelled it Q-U-E Daly on Facebook, yeah? And uh, based in Port Macquarie, give him a like and a follow. And uh, will you be publishing information about the new project on that page or is there another page we should also be following? Or Let's just say you will, not, you will not miss it. Can we all follow Adam Roberts? Or are you particular about who... who I mean, have you got a public profile for your own... Facebook pages, I got pictures uh, of kids. Or? As I said before, I'm probably a back-end guy. It's all about the, the people that I support. I just do a lot of back-end back stuff. So it's not about me personally, but the, the project will be something that people will be very interested in. Uh, and I would say it's educational as much as anything. So a lot of people can benefit from a project, for sure. Fantastic. Well, Adam, thanks for your time again. And I'll let you get back to the, to the busy life and we'll, we'll watch with great eagerness to see what what this uh, educa educational don't forget guys you heard it first right here with me and you didn't get off some cheesy uh, <laughs> YouTube channel you got it off this and uh, again thanks Adam and uh, thanks for watching everybody uh, give us some comments on how you liked it whether uh, you know there's some specific content that you want to see I have a few people message me about getting on the show I'm happy to do that. We've got a, you know, I did mention before, I know a lot of folks in barbecue and uh, we'll be going, working through the list as long as I've got time. I happen to have an abundance of time right now. So we're building a little bit of momentum with it. Uh, but again, thank you, Adam, for your time. And we'll uh, sign out from here. Thanks, guys. Peace. I don't want to shut this thing off now is the question. Yeah, right. <laughs>